After Jesus rose from the dead, he chose to step back into the sorrow, fear, and doubt of his followers. Three appearances found in John 20 describe the eyewitness account. What did he say? How did his words and his presence lead his followers out of a place of despair and into a new world of joy and wonder? And how has Jesus actually been doing that ever since? Let's look at John 20, beginning in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. We'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the revelation of who you are in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we explore this eyewitness account, Lord, would you fill our hearts with joy and wonder? Would you renew our faith in you? Lord, would you, you give us not only a sense of your presence in nearness, but an understanding, Lord, of your pursuit of us and your love for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we'll explore four things. Mary's sorrow, the disciples' fear, Thomas's doubt, and a new world of joy and wonder. First, Mary's sorrow. You know, the events of the last few days sent the disciples into a tailspin. Mary, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who he had delivered from several demons, the one who had found her hope and freedom through Jesus' ministry, had just days before witnessed his death, and she's still trying to come to terms with what just happened. Verses 1 through 10 of, of John 20 actually gives us the backstory. She heads to the tomb to honor Jesus in his death by anointing his body with spices. She arrives to discover that the tomb is open. And she's thinking, no, 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 no. This isn't happening. What's going on here? She is distraught. She runs to tell Peter and the others. Peter and the one whom Jesus loved. This is reference to John. They run to the tomb after hearing this. John gets there first. He stops at the entrance. He sees the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' body. But he doesn't go into the tomb. Peter arrives and goes right in. And he sees the linen cloths, and he sees the face cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' face and head. But it was set to the side and folded up in its own place. 
And then John entered the tomb. And it says in John 20, verse 8, he saw and believed. What did he believe? Well, he believed this wasn't done by grave robbers, for one. They wouldn't have removed the linen cloths and folded up the head cloth, the face cloth, and put it in its place. And and more than that, John believes that this is something else. Somehow, some way, Jesus is alive. And so like the dawning of a new day when the first sign of daylight is starting to peak over the horizon, faith is beginning to grow in John's heart. So with hearts racing and minds spinning with no clear understanding yet of how scripture predicted this, they go back to their homes. But not Mary. Verse 11, we read it. She stood outside the tomb weeping. She isn't thinking resurrection. She comes to the most logical conclusion that she can think of. Someone took his body. Where is it? This final act of dishonor is more than she can bear. She's experiencing already a deep sorrow, and her grief is just exasperated by this fact that she can't find his body. These feelings of hopelessness and despair, just devastation. She's a bit numb at this point. Maybe you can relate to those feelings. Maybe you've brought those here today. Are you battling disappointment and hopelessness? Are you experiencing a deep sorrow that won't shake? You can't shake. Maybe there's some unmet expectations. You've trusted God for things, and, well, you feel like he hasn't come through for you. With tear-filled eyes, Mary looks inside the tomb, and she encounters two angels, only she talks with them like they're not angels. I'm not sure she knew they were angels in that moment. They've taken away my Lord. And then in verses 14 and 15, she turns and sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's him at first. You see, the last time she saw Jesus' body, it was hanging on a cross, a mangled mess, unrecognizable. Why would she think the person speaking to her was Jesus? Having already turned away from this man, she hears, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks, gardener. This is the gardener. Where's my Lord? Where have you put him? Just, just tell me where you've put him. I, I'll take care of it. She wants answers. In the midst of her deep grief and sorrow, in the midst of feeling wrecked and worn out and numb, that's when Jesus did it. What did he do? He called her name. With tender affection, he says, Mary. As if to say, Mary, you know who I am. And she did. It was a familiar voice. Mary wasn't a number. She wasn't a project. She had a name. Jesus knew her name. He knows your name. It was a personal encounter. It always is with Jesus. It's like she woke from a nightmare. The sorrow that felt like it would last forever, that seemed to redefine her as a person, was gone. The heartache lifted. She had heard the voice of the one who said this previously in John eleven twenty five: 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 
In John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. She had heard that voice. Jesus met Mary in her sorrows. That's what he chose to do after being raised to life. Just think about that. He could have done anything he wanted and he chose to meet Mary in her sorrow. And in a moment, she's led into a new world of joy and wonder, astonishment. In just a moment, when we're witnessing it. You know, it's not easy to communicate a sense of wonder. Children do it all the time, though. They seem to be in this constant state of wonder. I mean, just the other day, my four-year-old Silas and I were outside in the front yard, and he looks up and he says, Daddy, a red bird. And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, Silas, that's a cardinal. Have you ever seen a cardinal before? He's like, a red bird. <laughs> and I'm like, he's never seen a cardinal before. <laughs> I'm like, that is a red bird. Or just, I think this was yesterday, we're looking at a spider. He's very fascinated by spiders. It was a small spider. He goes, look at that small spider, Daddy. I said, yes. He goes, what kind is it? I go, I don't know. He says, is it radioactive? <laughs> I said, I think so. We better move away from it. <laughs> Wonder is to be filled with admiration, amazement, awe. It can include being surprised and a bit puzzled. Think head-shaking wonder. Think head-shaking amazement. Like, wow, when you think of wonder. And that's how she responds. Rabboni in Aramaic. It combines this deep reverence, this word for rabbi, teacher, with affection. Oh, my dear teacher. Verse 17, what does he say to her? Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He gives Mary a message to announce. After calling her name, after she responds with joy and wonder, after the heartache and sorrow is lifted, he tells her, essentially, announce the relationship that I've won for my brothers. Announce the relationship that I've won for them. Now, Mary is the first to see Jesus alive, and she's the first to proclaim it. Look, if the disciples were trying to create some fabricated story, they wouldn't have written Mary in as the first eyewitness. Here's why. In that day, a woman's testimony wasn't even allowed in Jewish court. Add to that Mary's past in prostitution. But Jesus decided she was just the witness we needed. He met her in her sorrows. Second, the disciples' fear. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here they are, 
behind locked doors and hiding. They're afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of being arrested, tortured, put to death. At any moment, the Jewish authorities could knock on that door. And Jesus came in, and it says, he stood among them. I love this. He stepped into their fear and said, peace be with you. Now, this is a familiar greeting of the day. Oh, but this is more. This is declaration. A declaration, a greeting that cut through the fear that was in that room, that was in their hearts. This is what Jesus promised. This peace that he announces is what he promised. And it's what they needed most. It's what we need most. Look, fear takes many forms. Panic, anxiety, terror, dread. We fear all kinds of things. We all wrestle with it. All of us. The story of Jesus is the story of God entering human pain and suffering, stepping into our fears and identifying with us to the point of death and overcoming death through the power of love. That's the story of Jesus. And all of this leads to forgiveness, reconciliation with a holy God. It leads to peace, true peace. Listen to Colossians and what it says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. And you, you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh. How? By his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We can't pay the penalty of our sin. And we can't overcome death. But Jesus did both. And in a moment, the disciples moved from a place of great fear, great fear and hiding, to a place of joy and wonder. We witness it. When it says in verse 19 of John 20, the disciples were glad, I want you to think exuberant joy, like hug around the neck, joy, like my cheeks are hurting because I've been smiling too long, joy, like joy and awe and wonder, like shake my head, I can't believe this is happening. And after this, he shows them his scars and he says it again, peace be with you. But this time he commissions them. He gives them a mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. Beautiful imagery. Beautiful imagery that reaches all the way back to Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. Here is new creation life happening before us as we read this. Here is the life and power that they needed to accomplish what he was sending them out to accomplish. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. This is a foretaste of what they would receive, the power through God the Holy Spirit that they would receive in Acts chapter two. Here's a foretaste of it. And so Jesus met his disciples in their fear, but he didn't leave them there. 
they would experience in that moment an invincible joy. Why do I say invincible? Because it's found in the one who conquered death itself. And he was standing in their midst, in their presence. The one who is invincible is giving to them, giving them an invincible joy. Joy that doesn't ignore the circumstances. Joy that doesn't ignore the fear and the sorrow. But joy that carries them through it. Because it's rooted in something else altogether. Now that doesn't mean they would never experience fear again. That's not my experience as a follower of Jesus. I move into places of fear and sorrow and doubt. But what does it mean? It means that no matter what they faced, no matter what fear or trial came their way, it it wouldn't have the final word. Why? Because the resurrection has the final word. The resurrection has the final word. From that moment on, the resurrection would have the final word in the disciples' lives, no matter what came their way. He lifted them out of fear. He met them in it and brought them out of it. Third, he meets Thomas in his doubts. Let's read it. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We don't know where Thomas was when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, but he missed the party. Uh, he, He wasn't able to join them in their enthusiasm and faith when they reported what they had seen. He needed physical evidence. Was Thomas despairing? Was Thomas suspicious? Was he cynical? All of those things and more. Understandably so. All of his hopes and dreams had been crushed, like destroyed, just a few days prior. The next Sunday, doors are locked again. Jesus appears This time, he's there for one person yet again. He doesn't rebuke Thomas. You notice that? He doesn't dismiss Thomas. He meets Thomas in his doubts. He's like, go ahead. Go go ahead. Thomas, put your finger here. Go ahead. In that moment, Thomas's skepticism and doubt vanished. The evidence, the reality of who Jesus is just came alive in his heart. He vocalizes it this way. My Lord and my God. It's one of the most beautiful confessions of faith ever recorded in Scripture, in my opinion. We've not been left to guess what God is like. If you want to know who God truly is, look to Jesus. John's been saying it since chapter one. 
He's been telling us who Jesus is since chapter one. And now Jesus here in verse 29, he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. Happy, supremely happy, joyful are those who have not seen yet believed. And that leads to our last point, a new world of joy and wonder. Let's read it, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John has given us a portrait of Jesus. That's what he's done here in this gospel account. Now, among, along the way, he's presented signs. And if you've been with us in this series in the book of John, that you've, you've seen these signs that John has held up and pointed to that reveal who Jesus is, really, who he is and why he came. But the resurrection is John's final sign, we could say. The resurrection brings everyone who hears about it to a crossroads. All of us here are brought to a crossroads, like it or not. You are brought to a crossroads when you hear of the resurrection of Jesus. What are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? How will you respond to it? Every reader of every generation must come to terms with the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 31, these things are written that you may believe. Literally go on believing. Keep believing. It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to follow the risen Lord. It's a call for us of every generation, every reader of every generation to respond in faith, which looks like surrender to the Christ. Christ means anointed one, Messiah, the king. Surrender to who he is. Are you overwhelmed with sorrow, heartache? Is that where you're at? Are you gripped with fear, fear of death, failure, what others think of you? Is doubt filling your thoughts? I mean, have you grown comfortable with your doubts and skepticism? Has it given way to cynicism? None of that is, is too big for Jesus. None of it. And we've witnessed just that. Jesus entering the sorrow and the fear and the doubt of his followers. He did it then. He's still doing it today. Here is an invitation at the end of John 20 to faith in Jesus, not faith in faith. We're not talking about faith in nothing or faith in faith. Like, if I can conjure up enough faith. No, this is faith in the person of Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished. Now, whether you find yourself on the edge, kind of looking in, and you've been considering the claims of Christ for some time, and now you're here on Easter Sunday, and you've been curious, and you're leaning in, and something is just stirring your heart. I mean, that's, I'm so thankful for that. Respect how you're asking questions. Keep asking questions. But I wonder today, if you could bring those questions to the Lord even now and say, will you meet me in my doubt? Will you meet me in my fear and in my sorrow?
Maybe you've been a follower for a long time. John writes to strengthen your faith. As we have been really ex- encountered a story, this eyewitness account of Jesus' appearances, and we've seen how he brought this joy and wonder to his followers, well, we too should be the recipients of this kind of joy and wonder. Maybe for the first time, as you encounter the risen Christ in a way that you never have before. And this invincible joy then begins to fill your heart as you think, wow, if Jesus truly is raised to life, this changes my life forever. This changes everything. I can find a hope and a rest and a peace in the risen Savior that is untouchable, that is invincible. That's true. And if you've been in Christ for any length of time, I I, I believe that the Lord wants you to be renewed in your joy and in your wonder as we encounter the resurrection again. John writes to strengthen our faith. Faith in the resurrected Jesus is the pathway to life in his name. That's what John says. Which life in his name is life that comes to us because of who Jesus is and what he has done. That's what it is. After Jesus rose from the dead, what did he choose to do? He chose to enter the sorrow and the fear and doubt of his followers. And he didn't leave them there. And he's been doing it ever since. Consider John 20, your personal invitation out of despair and into a new world of joy and wonder. Consider it your personal invitation. Do you hear his voice? He is calling your name. Jesus has stepped into your sorrow, fear, and doubt. He is here today to lead you out of it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we recognize what you have done. We recognize in this place what the resurrection means for us. That you defeated sin and death. That you've conquered our greatest fear and sorrow. And that you meet us in this place of doubt. That's what you're taking on flesh was all about stepping into our brokenness and pain, doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves to reconcile us, to bring us a peace that we all long for and that we all run after in other things but is only found in you. And so Jesus, would you stir our affections for you? Would you deepen our faith? Would you increase our joy and wonder? For anyone here today, Jesus, that is considering who you are, maybe for the first time in a way they never have before, Lord, would you meet them in that place? And would you bring faith to their hearts? And for the rest of us, Lord, who have been following you for a season, however long that season is, would you renew our faith? Would you renew our joy and wonder? In Jesus' name, amen.